and drums are from Sheol. Others, it's got to be drums and guitar and modern. An organ is too old-fashioned or stuffy. Others only sing the Psalms, right? There are questions. Should we only sing Psalms? Should we only sing songs that come out of Scripture? Should we sing any hill song, little hill song, mucho hill song? There's debates on all these things. There's also a question about dress. Do we come to church? Is it better to come to church dressed up nice? Uh, I'm speaking as one of the few guys with a tie in the room. Or is it okay to come in a ball cap? Ball cap, Because that's more authentic. Or there's questions about Sundays in general. Are Sundays supposed to be for family? Do I honor the Lord by playing sports on Sunday? Can I work or not work? These are questions that come up. And these sorts of questions are things like gray areas, people call them convictions, liberties, these things. This doesn't just exist when it comes to Sunday. So here's a question about honoring the Lord for the rest of the week. Can you honor the Lord by shopping at businesses that support Pride Month? Am I allowed to go to Target this month, or do I have to save all my Amazon purchases until July 1st? Only returns this month, but no purchases for the next 30 days. There's questions about schooling. What's the godliest way to school? Do we be missionaries in public school, or do we find a middle ground with private school, or do I do God's will in homeschool, or even more profound, do we sign up for Grace Academy? Uh, what's, What's the right way to honor the Lord? And there's been debates like this for the last few years, the pandemic. Right, brought a lot of these things. Do I do I vax and not trust the Lord, or do I vax and love my neighbor? Do I not vax and trust the Lord? Do we meet on Sunday? Uh, some met, some didn't. Some like us closed up shop for like a couple of months and then kind of made. How do you go about what pleases the Lord there? And then there's all sorts of liberties. So without a doubt, every college group has that that guy or that girl that wants to talk about some of those gray areas. What's your view on alcohol? Can Christians drink alcohol? Is wine okay because it's sophisticated? Is light beer okay? How how do we work through that? There's people who want to talk about smoking. People want to talk about tattoos. Holidays. Do we do Halloween? Is Santa of the devil? Are Easter egg hunts okay if we do the Easter egg hunt after church and call it resurrection hunt or something like that? I don't know. There's questions about music. Can I listen to secular music? Can I listen to music that has some language? Is it okay to listen to country music? Uh, No. Uh, When it comes to like movies, TVs, video games, like what am I allowed to watch? What's okay? Can I like Harry Potter? Uh, Some say yes, some say no. Uh, As you get older, you get married. Uh, Is it sinful to wait to have kids? Should couples have kids right away? As you get older, can a woman have a job outside the home? There's questions about what is modest clothing? What meaneth this phrase? Uh, Can high school students go to prom? Can they date? Is it okay to be a cat person? These These are all questions that come up, and we're not talking today, I'm joking about a few of those, but we're not talking today about preferences, right? Some of you like certain styles or certain types of food, some of you don't. That's, that's not the issue. These are areas where Christians differ on what's the best way to honor the Lord. Again, we're not talking about preferences, style decisions. We're talking about ways that Christians differ on how to best honor the Lord in areas that the Bible does not specifically address. So understand, Scripture is clear on many things. Lying is wrong. Murder is wrong. Homosexuality is rebellion against God. Racism is a horrendous sin. We are told to pay our taxes. 
Scripture is clear on all of these. Scripture is clear. Cat lovers need to be publicly corrected. But, okay, again, I'm joking. But, but the other question then is, but how do we handle difference of opinion? How do we handle difference of opinion on the best way to honor, honor the Lord when it comes to Sunday practices or when it comes to schooling or when it comes with what companies we buy from or what networks we watch? How should we as Christians worship God as we work through what I'll call differing convictions. I don't want to call these liberties. You'll see why. I'm going to call these differing convictions. Some might call it gray areas. How do we worship the Lord in this? My goal this morning is to think about maybe what are some differences that exist in this room. It's also to prepare you. You know, right now, because you're younger, some of these convictions you, you just borrow. Um, you know, well, can Christians date? Well, it doesn't matter. My parents told me no. You know, it's clean, done. My work here is done. But as you get older, you need to think through difference of opinions on this. And so uh, when you do one day walk into a college group and there is the dude that says, well, let's talk about, you know, Bible's view on alcohol. I want you to be able to do that, uh, have that conversation, not only just with maturity, but as a Christian to talk about those things, talk about a lot of these things in a way a Christian should think about those. That's what Paul's going to talk to us about today in Romans 14. Romans 14 is a setting where Paul's addressing some differences of conviction amongst the believers at the church of Rome. What I want to do is I want to read the passage, and I want us to think about how this tells us about the way that we address these sort of differences of convictions as well. So let's read. We're going to read Romans 14.1 to 15.7. And I want you to see if you can come up with a one-word answer to what is the conviction issue here, okay? See if you could spot it. See if you could figure it out. See if you could even find Paul's opinion on it, because I think the text is very clear. Let's read it together, Romans 14, starting at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may, he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. 
but it is unclean for everyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes her peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is God's holy word, and we'll look at chapter 15 later. Let's pray and think about this issue together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can come here today and sing and look forward to the time we have this summer for fellowship, being in the word, being together. Lord, we pray now that you'd give us wisdom. My fear, knowing my own tendency, is to come looking at the issue of personal convictions with my mind already made up. And so, Lord, help us to think about why this is in the word today why you want us to think about this issue. Lord, help us to honor you. Help us to come away understanding how from this passage we could be living sacrifices for your glory. We thank you for your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we read through there 23 verses. What's the debate over in this one? Does anyone have a a one-word answer? The, The issue why Christians are frustrated potentially with one another in this passage is a difference of opinion over what? Anyone? Anyone have a one-word answer? Yeah. Yeah, it is, because it's only one word. Anyone have a one-word answer over it? Anyone? Yeah. Not a difference over faith. Difference over? Not convictions. Difference over? what? You have a what conviction? Uh, what's the conviction they're battling over? One-word answer, yeah. Food. This is a battle of conviction over food. It's really simple. It's not that complicated. And it's not like who has the, you know, in and out or Chick-fil-A or anything like that. But, but, it is, but it is a question about what kind of food are they supposed to eat? Let me explain. If you've been with us, who's been with us the whole time we've been looking at Romans? Back, back in September, we looked at Romans 1. So Romans 1, remember, uh, Romans 1, 16, it is good news first to the Jew and then to the Greek, right? We had this Jew-Gentile sort of background. And, and Paul, in chapters 2 and 3, tried to show how both Jews and Greeks were condemned. And in chapters 9, 10, and 11, we saw this, uh, this interesting thing about well, which Jews are part of the household of faith and which Gentiles, which Greeks are part of the household of faith. We've seen this uh, in the Church of Rome. There are both Jews and Greeks there. Now, here's the thing. But all of them have now trusted in Christ. But if you're a Jew... You've lived your whole life seeking to honor God through certain dietary restrictions. They were not to eat that which was unclean. They were not to eat any pork. So pulled pork sliders, 
sizzling bacon, all those pork things that you guys love, sausage links, a you know, sausage biscuit from McDonald's, they're not touching any of that because it wasn't kosher. It wasn't clean. They were not, that, that would dishonor the Lord. And so they would honor the Lord by not eating pork. But now here they are in Rome. And there are Romans, there are Greeks who've gotten saved. And you know what they like to eat in Rome? They like to eat pork. They like to eat some bacon, as many of you do to to this day. And so they go over to their friend's house, and, uh, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, thanks for coming over, Jewish family. We have made, uh, we made pork roast tonight. Are you guys excited about it? With a little apple chutney to go alongside it. And they're now going, wait a second, I can't eat that because that dishonors God. That's the issue that's in mind here, okay? That, that is, the, that is there's some issue about food. There's also something about days, which makes sense if you've grown up your whole life celebrating Passover, even though the Passover has been fulfilled in Christ. Ah, uh, do we still celebrate Passover? Do we still celebrate some of these religious holidays? Do we still keep the Sabbath in the same way that we used to? That's, that's the issue. You have Jews coming out of Judaism still wanting to do some of the things. Not, not those things to get saved, They've trust in Jesus, but they're working through, yeah, but don't these things honor the Lord and don't I dishonor the Lord if I partake in in eating these sorts of food? That's that's the background and Paul's defining them. So verse 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse one, you guys see weak in faith. The weak are the Jews in this context. That's gonna help us as we go through it. The weak are the Jews who don't wanna touch this food. The strong, they're referred to as the strong in chapter 15, Verse 1, it's the Gentiles who are okay with, you know, having a McRib or something like that. And the issue that's happening, look at verse 3 of chapter 14. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Okay, so those who eat the meat are looking at the Jews in despising them. What's wrong with you? Come on, guys, don't you, haven't you read Acts 10 and 11? God has declared all food clean. He did, Jesus did so in the Gospel of Mark. Stop living under these rules. It's totally fine to eat. They're despising them. Meanwhile, the weak in faith are looking at those who could eat the meat and say, man, how could they do that? How could they say they honor the Lord and eat in that sort of way? So that's the context we find ourselves in. And honestly, it's, it's not something that's totally foreign to us. We have in this room those who have gotten saved growing up in church their whole life. And we have in this room those who have come to learn about the things of the Lord later in life. That'll happen as you get older. And what you'll notice is those groups of people, because of experience, have difference of convictions. Both are trying to honor the Lord, but how do you figure out how to navigate that issue? That's where we're going at today. You're going to see that today. You, You probably have that amongst friends here. Right? Friends who have different convictions on entertainment. I know for certain that you probably have a difference of convictions than your parents on some of these issues. And so the question is, how do we think about these things? All of this, by the way, and just in case you think this is uh, just a how to get along, all this, remember, is, is in the context of Romans 12. Romans 12.1 says, present your body as a living sacrifice. So my whole life is worship to God, and I worship God, and the way I treat Christians with different, differing convictions. So let's work through this. I'm going to go through this quick. I want to give you seven principles. Seven principles that Paul is giving us from this passage uh, for how we ought to think about working through issues like schooling, working through issues like politics, working through 
issues like other Christian liberties, how do we think through these? Number one is this. Number one is avoid quarreling. Avoid quarreling. Avoid fighting. Avoid arguments. These are not supposed to be contentious issues. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, you who prefer more formalized worship, why don't you just go find a different church for your preferences? He doesn't say the way to solve this issue is to have a Saturday night church where the meat lovers can show up and a Sunday morning church where those weak vegetarians can hang out. He doesn't say make different services so nobody has to. He also doesn't say, hey, you know, it'd be great, get super offended and then just don't talk to those people. You probably go to a big enough church, you don't even have to interact with people you're offended by. It's not at all what he says, but his call is for unity. His first verse is, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then jump, if you would, to chapter 15. Look at chapter 15, verse 7. So the first verse, welcome him, don't quarrel. Verse 7 of chapter 15, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And so when you have a difference of opinion on gray areas, These are not supposed to be things that divide the church. Isn't that interesting? Today, if we don't get along with someone, we just kind of separate. Or if we have difference of opinions, we'll just find a different place that maybe fits our preferences more. But that's actually not godly. What's godly is getting along with one another, avoiding arguing, not separating. And so as we begin looking at this issue, that's that's the first thing. Christians on on these issues are still going to get along. And if you can't get along in these issues, that reveals a lack of maturity, a lack of desire to worship God. Here's the second issue that I think is going to help, the second principle. Principle number two is honor the Lord first. Honor the Lord first. This week, I begin, as I was studying this, begin to realize that I get very nervous about the word liberties. We like to use the word liberty and we i mean we you know we've got lady liberty in the united states we you know give me liberty or give me death we're we're about freedom and stuff but but what people do with the word liberty sometimes is the word liberty is about my rights my opportunity for self-expression and so when people are talking about liberties of entertainment liberties with the issues such as alcohol the question then comes like, well, what can I do? What am I free to do? What can I get away with? How much can I uh, express myself in this? But notice what Paul says in how he's describing these convictions. He says in verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And then notice the repeated phrase starting in verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Notice what what the foundational emphasis is. We're seeking to honor the Lord. So think about that then in personal convictions. Student comes up to me and says, what video games am I allowed to play? Some people say this, some people say this. And the issue doesn't begin with black and white. You know, dating in high school, what do you think about that? Well, it's not even black and white. Your primary focus, even before you think about this, should be, how do I honor the Lord in this? It's not about how much fun you can have. 
It's not about personal entertainment. It's not about what you can get away with. How close to the line can I get? The question is, how do I honor the Lord? Friends, that's what a Christian is. Look at verse 7. Paul says, For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. In other words, every aspect of my life is for God. Sometimes I think, it's whether students think this or they're living like this, where it's, okay, I do Sundays and Wednesdays for Jesus so I could do what I want for myself the rest of the time. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who's seeing the glory of Christ, understanding that his death pays for our sins, has surrendered their life over to him, has died to themselves and said, I want to follow him. In fact, take your Bible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one cross-reference today. Go to your right, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to give you two verses on how to think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's as if uh, uh, home with the Lord, uh, that's saying whether I'm dead or alive, my aim is to please Christ. Look at verse, uh, let's see, verse 13. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We live for Christ because Christ died for our sin. He's rescued us, not so that we can give him Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights only. And so as we're thinking about these issues, these gray areas, these differing convictions, student, you are doing yourself no good if your aim is to preserve as much autonomy or preference or pleasure as you can. Your first aim is to honor Christ. Hey, what kind of music can I listen to? First aim, honor Christ in all of these issues. That's our goal. That's what a Christian does. Here's number three, principle number three. Trust the Lord as judge. Trust the Lord as judge. Paul gives pretty clear instructions about not judging people here. He says in verse four, who are you to pass judgment on the one who eats? For God has welcomed him. Judgment. Right? Judgment there is to condemn. It's not to have a difference of opinion. It's to condemn them in your mind. Like, how could they come to church and dress like that? How can they be a real Christian and sing those type of songs? How can they call themselves a church uh, and have waited so long to gather together, together again? Right? It's, you make these judgment calls. Paul saying is don't act as judge and jury in these situations. How can they say they love the Lord when it seems they love that guy or that girl so much? He says, be careful to not be the arbitrator of what's right and what's wrong. There is, in the Bible, I said that earlier, there's things that are clearly right, there's things that are clearly wrong, but in these gray areas, be careful. And he tells you why, verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? We're back in Romans 14. Or why do you despise your brother? For we all stand, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Think about verse 12 for a second, student. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us one day is going to stand before the Lord, and, and as Christians, though we are forgiven, we do not need to fear condemnation. There's going to be scrutiny. There's going to be works that are confirmed and rewarded. There are going to be deeds that we did that will burn up because they were in the flesh and for temporary purposes. Friends, you will give an account of how you spent your life. You will give an account for what sort of choices you made when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to clothing. We do not answer to ourselves. We answer to the Lord. And so there, there is no moment where we get to declare autonomy. He is our master. That said, that is not only motivation for us to make sure we're seeking to honor the Lord. That gives us clarity and comfort that we don't need to judge in some of these gray areas. Something really funny happens with our kids. Our, our oldest two kids are six and four, almost seven and five. And what happens is, you've seen this before, where a parent is actively parenting one of the kids. So mom says something, dad says something. But then brother and sister also decide to add their two cents. They go, yeah, and you ought to... And what we've got to do is go, hold on a second, bud, or hold on, sweet girl. Like, mom and dad are doing an okay job parenting right now. We got, you don't have to parent for us. We got this. Friends, we don't have to judge others in these conviction areas. God's going to do that. And he's going to do a pretty good job, I think, right? Fairly good, really good. And so we don't need to stand in his place and take his position of what he is going to accomplish. And so we trust the Lord as judge. People will have differences in areas that aren't obviously sin. We need to let the Lord sort that out. Number four, lovingly help the weak. Lovingly help the weak. This is that paragraph there, verses 13 to 19. I think this is the, probably the most difficult one to work through, but it's... I think it's difficult because it grinds against us. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. He, he says, don't put stumbling blocks in the way. Now, we need to think of this here. Paul is, is putting an obligation, a responsibility on the strong. Okay, again, remember, the strong are those who, who are not bothered by some of these things the weak are bothered by. They're, they're not bothered by the meat. What he's saying is, it's your responsibility, Gentiles, Gentile believers are those who are comfortable with eating pork, it's your responsibility to not put a stumbling block in the way of those who are weak. And again, verse 15, he says, but in the middle there, by what you eat... Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And again, verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother 
to stumble. Now, what does this mean, stumble? We've got to figure it out. Let me explain what what it doesn't mean. Stumble doesn't mean to make them frustrated. Okay, there, there is a certain type of believer out there that says, everyone should dress this way. Ugh, I can't believe they're not dressed like that. I'm stumbling right now. There's a certain type of people who's looking to get upset and angry with other Christians that don't conform to their preferences. We're going to talk about why that person is weak in a second. That's not what stumble means here. Stumble doesn't mean to tick them off because you decided that you would try dating your senior year and their parents don't let them. That's not what this is. Stumble always has a a, a spiritually negative connotation. Stumble means to stumble into sin and stumble out of faith. So so here's what this means. We'll unpack this a little more when we get to verse six, or point six. You're to help them not sin. So former Jew, now Christian, but it's like, man, I'm just not comfortable eating, uh, eating food that's unclean. Paul says, well, then don't invite them over for a pot roast. Don't, don't put food, don't make them do things that they're not comfortable with. Don't make them act against their conscience in this issue. Right? Don't spe- uh, spoon feed them pulled pork. Don't make them stumble into sin. Don't destroy what God has done in their life. I think this one is very applicable in high school. You have a friend that has a very sensitive conscience to certain types of movies or music. Don't egg them on to keep coming when they don't want to watch. Don't show them jokes that you know bother them. Don't say, look, I'm comfortable with this, so I'm going to make you comfortable with this. Paul says, don't do that. Rather, defer. If they're offended by a certain type of entertainment, if they're not comfortable with uh, certain forms of liberty, don't make them partake. As you get older, if you have a friend that is like, yeah, I don't, I don't drink beer. I don't think it's a good idea for anybody to do that. Well, then don't, don't order them around. Like, that's, that's wrong. It's wrong to just like, ah, get over it, freedom in Christ. No, no, you love them by allowing them to work through those issues. And if they have wrong thinking, you love them by being patient and not trying to fix it for them, but letting them work through it. You lovingly help the weak. Again, I love that this is all hypothetical when you're older. But let's, let's say it is something like secular music. And let's say somebody is, you know, super offended. Maybe they came out of a background, they got saved out of a background. Their parents used to listen to bad music all the time. Part of their conversion was turning from that. Okay, all of your friends are comfortable listening to that kind of music. But they come over, it's probably good to turn it off and love them by not letting them do something they think is sinful. More on that in a second. Let's go to number five. Number five, remember the weak are weak. The weak are weak. Paul, in this passage, defines one group as weak. Okay? Now, we tend to think of people who have convictions like this, who, who, um, who have very strong, outspoken preferences on what's right and wrong. We think of them as stronger. We think of them as holier. Or we think of them as uh, being more godly informed. 
you know, and so they're holier because they homeschool. Uh, they're holier because alcohol, entertainment, that's all sinful. But Paul says that they're weak. Let me explain. Verse 14, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul there is, is, is talking about food. He's saying there's no such thing as food that condemns you. Nothing. It's, it's all food, right? He's saying it's, it's all just food. There's nothing that's unclean in itself. Verse 20, do not, or, or sorry, uh, everything, halfway through verse 20, everything is indeed clean. Okay, he's saying these are good things. Food is good. There's nothing inherently sinful about it. And so he is calling the weak, weak because they have taken things that aren't sinful and have automatically associated them with sin. So again, I'll give you some examples on this. I keep bringing up alcohol because that's a big one. And I think that's a, that's a good grid there, okay? The weak need to understand the Bible does not prohibit drinking alcohol. If you, it does for all of you. You're under 21, it's easy. Praise the Lord, right? The Bible does not prohibit necessarily getting a tattoo. The Bible does not even necessarily prohibit it's going to hurt to say, voting Democrat. Yikes. <laughs> now, with all of those things, I would give very strong caveats. What's your heart behind getting a tattoo? I think it's incredibly unwise based on like where and what it is. But what's your heart behind voting? I'm assuming you're not wholesale adopting everything the Democratic, Democratic Party sells. Uh, look, I understand. I have seen students in this room who probably don't like to share about how their dad locks himself in his room and drinks alcohol all day, doesn't work at all, and alcohol's totally ruined their family's life. So I'd say with all these issues, don't be naive. You don't be dumb, like freedom in Christ. Let's listen to whatever music we want as if none of it's changing us whatsoever. I can go do whatever I want, freedom in Christ. No, don't be, don't be foolish, Christian. Don't be naive, but be careful not to make blanket statements that anything having to do with blank is automatically sinful. That's what the weak does. Those things, a lot of these things I mentioned are dangerous, but we want to be careful not to make blanket statements. We're watching out for sin. We're looking to please the Lord, but we're being careful that we don't associate everything with sin that isn't necessarily sinful. Let me explain. Let's go to point number six is this. Understand faith and conscience understand faith and conscience paul said in verse 14 i know and persuade in the lord jesus that nothing is unclean in itself but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean so there's something about is it wrong to watch movies no but if sitting and watching a certain movie, you think it's sinful to do it? Paul says it is sinful for you to do. It's wrong. If there's a certain style of music that your friends are into, but you listening to those words going, I shouldn't do that. Guess what Paul says? It doesn't matter if they think it's okay. It's wrong. Look at verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So 
Blessed is the one who isn't judging, that's going like, hey, this is fine for me to do. But the one who's saying like, man, this is, I'm not sure I should do this. You're condemning yourself. And so don't do it. You know it's wrong. Verse 23, whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats because he is eating not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So next Sunday night, Habakkuk 2.4, we're gonna talk about the, the righteous live by faith. We do all that we do in life trusting God. Uh, every, everything we do in our Christian walk, even prayer, worship is an act of faith, an act of trust in God. And so for these Jews, former Jews, for them to eat meat, they'd have to, in their mind for a moment, sort of sever their relationship with God because I'm eating this, not trusting God that it's good to do. In fact, I'm ignoring the, the feeling inside of me that this is actually wrong to do. Okay, so let's go back to stumbling. Actually, let me pause for a second because I do want to say one thing about convictions, a conscience. What Paul is not saying is let your conscience be your guide. You do need to be careful that, and understand that your conscience can be off. So some of you are going like, oh, I could totally listen to music like that. It doesn't bother me at all. Well, certain music should bother you. Certain movies should bother you. I mean, Paul is operating, you, you remember Romans 12, right? Romans 12, verse 2. Paul is assuming that we are, verse 2, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. He's assuming that our minds are being transformed. And so if you're not bothered by certain types of entertainment in the exact same way that your non-Christian friends aren't bothered by those things, well, maybe you haven't really been transformed. You're conformed. That's why it doesn't bother you at all. So you need to be careful. Like, let your conscience be your guide. Bad rule. Let your spirit-filled, biblically informed, seeking to please God conscience be your guide. Great. I'm much more comfortable with that based on Romans 12, 13, 14. Anyway, going back to this, we, we understand then the danger, though, of going against man, my conscience is bothered by this, right? So let's, let's give an example. You and your friends want to go see a movie. You want to see a Marvel movie because, you know, your Marvel movies is, is what you do. You're a slave to the system. You need those movies, you think, but they actually need you because they'd go out of business if you stopped buying their tickets. Anyway, um, you keep going and you have a friend that's like, man, I've read about some of the language in there. I don't know if we should go. And you're like, come on, man, don't be a wet blanket. Let's go. And you get them to go, etc. Okay, he or she, just made a decision to ignore what their conscience was telling them. Okay, that's a bad practice. That's a bad habit to develop. It's a bad habit to develop the pattern of ignoring what my mind is telling me to do or what my mind is telling me the obedient thing to do is. Why? Because you get in that habit and you just keep playing that out. That's where stumbling comes from. Something isn't frustrated here. Stumbling is you, you stop following the Lord one day because you've just gotten in the pattern of going like, I, I think God wants this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Do you understand that? That's the importance of this issue. That's why you wanna be careful. Uh, that's why you wanna be careful with others, their preferences. Finally, number seven, number seven is this, follow the pattern of Christ. Follow the pattern of Christ. This is chapter 15. I think chapter 15 one's a tough one to swallow. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Here's the thing. 
Paul says, you are informed. That's great that that doesn't bother you. But you have an obligation to love other Christians, to say no to things you usually say yes to because they want to say no to it. I think that sounds very difficult, right? Like, what about my freedom? What about my desires? What about the things I want to, what are the things I want to do? They are being killjoys here. I think it's a good thing, chapter 15, verse 1, rubs up against our typical thinking. I think it's good when the Bible does that because often it shows that the Bible is right and we are wrong. This is hard, but that is a good thing. Paul says, instead, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Rather, make decisions about your life, not about what most pleases you, but about what most pleases others, what most builds them up, what most helps them along. And the example he gives is Christ, verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul here refers to Psalm 69, which is, which is anticipating Jesus. Jesus, who let bad happen to him for the sake of others. One author says like this, Jesus' death on the cross is the supreme example of one, who fors- of one who forsakes his own pleasure to advance God's honor. You know what our end goal is? Our end goal in our life together as believers is that each of us would love Christ more because of our time together. That we'd help each other love Christ and help each other keep loving Christ. Paul says here, that is, well, that's Christ-like. Christ who gave of himself so that we might benefit. Christ who died for sin that he did not commit so that we might be welcomed in. Therefore, we follow his pattern. We say no to things that we have a right to say yes to so that others can benefit for eternity. That's what we're called to do. What makes a church good? Have you ever thought about that? I love that Pastor John brought this up this morning. What makes a church good? Certainly doctrine is important, uh, adhering to the word of God. And he talked about love this morning. And I think this passage is a direct application of how we love one another. Now listen to how Paul ends this section. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Friends, it's not about my preferences. It's not about your preferences. It's about each of us honoring God more. May that be our ambition as we worship him together. Let me pray. We'll sing one more song. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this really this brief study of this issue of liberties and convictions about how we, how we interact with each other as we have differences of opinion on how to honor you. Lord, I pray that we would not quarrel. pray there'd be no disagreement. I pray that disunity in this room uh, over such issues would, uh, would be forgiven of each other. And you might unite those who are torn apart. Lord, I pray that our biggest aim would be to please you. 
that our heart would be to lift you up and to adore you. That our, our aim would not be our own preferences, but to think about your honor and your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Help us to live lives that reflect the good news of the gospel that saved us and that are devoted to our Savior. To Christ's name we pray. Amen.